Uh, before we get into the message, or as we're getting into the message here, I wanted to offer you a true confession. Um, sometimes when Hillary and I play a board game uh, or some kind of athletic competition, I care a little bit maybe too much about winning. And, uh, and so both of us are kind of competitive, and sometimes I, I kind of I go a little bit over the top and, and, and maybe even coach her a little bit too much in some, some things in some ways. I've learned my lesson over the years, and I've ratcheted that back, but when we first moved to Huntington Beach a couple of years ago, uh, we, we moved in. We, we wanted to just get a feel for the place, so we rode our beach cruisers, had to buy one of them. We just went to the store, bought a beach cruiser, and now we both have one. We can ride them down to the beach. So we rode them downtown. We decided to play some volleyball. I grew up playing volleyball in high school and college, and so did Hillary. Um, I think that I probably like, know a little bit more about volleyball, so I, I um, wanted to make sure that she was playing at a high enough level because here we are, you know, Southside, and, and wanted to uh, have people that we're engaging with understand that we're good at volleyball. This is, we're trying to break on the scene here. We're trying to uh, make some friends we can play volleyball with in the future, so it's a little co-ed thing happening, and we jump on a court, and we're like, let's go. And so, and so you know, Hillary's awesome at volleyball but hadn't played a lot of beach, and so I'm kind of helping her along a little bit, you know, and try this, or, or you know, take a little bit of a quicker step there, or, or cheat a little bit this direction because he's a lefty, and wh- whatever else, however that's going, uh, but it, she had it about up to here-ish, and, uh, and well, my last comment, and there were no more comments, um, was, was, Hill, get your booty down, get your booty down, you got to be in an athletic position, you got to be ready to go forward, and she stood up and goes, you get your booty down. And, uh, and there were some people on the sideline, and, and one of the guys was like, yeah, get your booty down. And I was like, oh, dang it. And then she didn't want to play anymore after that, and, and so the volleyball was kind of ruined. But we do that, don't we? I do that at least, where, where I take something that was invented and, and it's just supposed to be for fun. And on a Saturday afternoon when it was just supposed to be like a fun date time, and then I, I layer it with more things, like I want to win, so I'm going to coach you, and here, we have to play this way, and we have to beat these people, and we have to do this, and so I have these additional expectations that I place on the thing, and then it no longer serves the purpose of which it was originally intended. It's no longer just fun. I've taken it, and I've made it something else. You do that. We do that in different ways. Uh, Maybe you're thinking right now of the people that you know in your life that that do that very thing. And if you can't think of anybody, it's you. And so (laughs) whether it's, you know, how you load the dishwasher or uh, for for us, another thing that we wrestle with is uh, when driving, I drive most of the time. And so Hillary sometimes has some particular um, feelings about the direction, the way that I should go or the place that I should park. And we have gotten to the place where I've just like pulled off and said, you're driving. This is not like driving Miss Hilly. You know, you don't just get to tell me where to go and what to do. Uh, and, and so we have a tendency to do that. We, we add on and we steal, we rob from the original intent and the meaning of what was created. And, and the, the worst thing about it is all the things I've just described are relationship building activities. They're activities that build relationship, playing volleyball together, you know, the, the dishwashing after having eaten together or driving on a date night or whatever. And so these things that are supposed to be about connecting and building relationship, we can tear them down because we think things should happen in a certain way. And we think that our way of doing things is the right way. And we have these expectations that we put 
on things and on other people. And so I want to ask you a question this morning as we get going. Are you aware of the ways that you might be accidentally or unintentionally killing your relationships? Are you aware of the ways where your bias, your viewpoint, your way of doing things that might be good and well, but it has this other byproduct and it's actually harming your relationships? And there's people that you're disconnected with because you are so sure about this thing and how it should be. Consider that for a moment. We're going to get back around to that this morning, but we're going to take an interesting path to get there. We're going to start at the beginning, which is a good place to start. Genesis chapter 2. God has been creating out of nothing. So there was nothing, and then he speaks, and then there's something. There was darkness, and then he speaks, and then there's light. There's nothing on the ground, and then he speaks, and there's vegetation, and then there's animals. God's cool like that. He just speaks, and then things appear and exist. And then in verse 2 of chapter 2, it says, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Holy means set apart. And some of you that are here that you haven't ever been in church or you don't know your Bible and you're just kind of checking things out, you're thinking to yourself, guy, do you really believe that? That God just speaks and things are created? I went through science class and I have some different opinions about that. Or do you really believe that he did it in like six days and then he stopped on on the seventh? Yeah, but actually I don't care. I don't care if it was like a 24-hour period, or I don't care if it represents something and some kind of rhythm. The point is, God did the creating, and then God was teaching us something about pausing to rest. There was a rabbi uh, who, there was a rabbi who um, was trying to interpret this thing, this, this seventh day of rest that they call the Sabbath. And this rabbi was instructing people on how to think about the Sabbath day, this seventh day to rest. And he said, here's the deal. In the first six days, God created. And so in the first six days of the week, you create. You co-create with God. You participate with God in the creative process. You get to join him and use the gifts and the skills and the abilities that he's given you. Use your mind. Use your hands. You get to collaborate with God and bring value and bring meaning to these days. There's a role for you to play. But then the the rabbi said, on the seventh day, God has put all the meaning into the day already. There is no more value that you can bring. There is no more meaning that you can add. There is nothing else that you can contribute and make for this day because he has intended it to be a day when you pause and you rest and you reflect and you remember that you are not God, that he is God. And when you put your head down, he keeps this world turning. You are not the one who keeps things in the proper balance. You are not the one who is the source of your own results, God keeps this world spinning and going. So when you and I attempt to add our own meaning to this day, we're missing the main thing. 
So when we attempt to bring meaning to it and to somehow add value, or when we get worked up and we think, hey, there's just, I'm just too far behind in work. I just, have to, I just have to get it ahead of the game for Monday. I just have to contribute more. I just have to get another job that I do on Monday. I just have to bring more meaning to this. I just have to make this make sense for me and where our family's at in the season and whatever else. What we're, what we're unintentionally, accidentally doing is trying to bring meaning to something where God has already infused all the meaning, and we're missing the main thing. That his desire for us was to connect. That he said to pause because he wants relationship with you. And because he wants to remind us that he is God. That we are not God. And that he wants us to have confidence in him. That we can co-create and participate with him for these six. But then remember in some kind of a rhythm like this. That he is the ultimate source. When I try to add my own meaning to things, whether it's the volleyball and I take the fun out of it, or whether it's the driving, or whether it's this, this kind of Sabbath expression, when I try to add my own meaning, I think that it's self-serving. I think that I'm going to get ahead. I think that I'm going to make some more money. I think that I'm going to benefit in some way. But what I'm actually doing is self-destructive. Because God knows how we're wired and that we need to pause, that we need a break, that we can't work endlessly, that he wants to rejuvenate us, that he wants us to be connected in rhythm on an ongoing basis with him and with other people. And so we think it's for our good, but it's actually to our detriment. Now, this has been going on for a long time, and and. And the, the commandment of honor the Sabbath is actually the fourth commandment in what's the famous Ten Commandments. Even if you haven't gone to church very much in your life, you've heard of these Ten Commandments. That Moses went up a mountain. He brought him down on a stone tablet that God had given to him. And what happens is God gives us these commandments as a way of reminding us how he intends us to live. That life is better this way. He gave those Ten Commandments as guidelines, as instructions, as a way of maximizing this life and not getting off track. But what we do, what human beings do, and what religious people for years and years and years have done, is they take law, they take instruction and direction from God, and they layer on top of it more rules and more guidelines and more restrictions. It's like as if, as if this edge of the stage here was a commandment. And it was a don't step over this thing because there will be bad things that happen. This isn't a restriction to try to limit my life. It's to try to save my life and my leg from hurting myself and falling off this thing. And so if that's the commandment, what religious people do is they build rules on this side of the commandment so that I don't get too close to it to fall off. Now at one level, there's wisdom there. Because you don't want to toe the line and be stupid. But the further you go, the more rules you layer, the more you begin to focus on the rules and not their original intent, which was to promote life and to promote relationship. And so religious people have gotten this wrong for years and years and generations and generations. And they end up missing the point. And so when Jesus shows up on the scene, he finds a whole bunch of people who are really good at missing the point. And so Luke chapter 6, we find them here. It says, one Sabbath, which is the seventh day, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And his disciples began to pick some heads of grain. 
and rub them in their hands and eat the kernels. Now some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Obviously, they're way overly concerned about the law in this instance and paying total disregard to the gluten indulgence that's happening in front of them in this celiac disease, and it's been going on for all this time. We have this to thank. No, actually, they, they, are so, they are so focused on the letter of the law that they're making this an unlawful thing, and it's a gray area. It was okay if you were hungry to eat, but what they're saying is you're, you've gone from snacking to harvesting, and so what you're doing is unlawful because this is a Sabbath, and you can't, you can't do anything on the Sabbath. They had made so many rules that what was meant, intended for a day of rest became a day of burden. And you were just trying to make, did I break the Sabbath? Did I work in any way? Did I do something? Did I overstep? Did I exert some energy? Did I, 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 I. There's a story from, uh, that happened in 1992 where there was an apartment that caught on fire. And the people, it was in this Orthodox Jewish community, and the people that lived in the apartment came and found the local rabbi who lived nearby. And they said, Rabbi, the apartment's on fire, but it's the Sabbath day. We don't know if we should call the fire department to come and put out the fire. Because when we call, we open up, we create some kind of connection to the thing, and that's considered work in the rule book. And so as they were debating this for several minutes, 30 minutes, I believe it was, and they're going back and forth about, is this, is this breaking the law? Three more buildings caught on fire. We can miss the point by overemphasizing the rules. And this has been happening for a long time. Jesus answered these, these Pharisees who were concerned about the Sabbath. He says to them, have you never read that when David and his companions were hungry, he entered the house of God, taking the consecrated bread. He ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. He also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. Can you imagine if you said, the son of man is Lord of the dance? And then like, he did a little thing, that would have been funny. But he said, Lord of the Sabbath. And when he's saying this, his audience, these, these religious people are just incensed because he's done two things that are just like a big deal. He's compared himself to David, which there's three Old Testament guys that are like untouchable. They weren't perfect guys, but they were like highly esteemed. One of them was King David. One of them was Abraham. And one of them was Moses. So when he kind of puts himself in line, comparing himself to David in a way, they're just like uh, on edge. And then he says, the son of man, pointing at himself, is Lord of the Sabbath. And they're like, blasphemy. You're saying that you're above the Sabbath? And he would have been like, you're getting there. I invented the Sabbath. You know when you read about in Genesis, about a creation story happening? Yeah, that was me whispering, and things were created. That was me giving you an example to follow, inviting you in to co-create, participate with me. But then on this rhythmic seventh day, I want you to rest and remind yourself that you are not God, but I am God. But you, religious people, you have gotten so focused on the letter of the law that you have missed the message. You've gotten so focused on the legalism that you are completely void of love. And you're missing it. 
The Sabbath was about rest, and you're ruining it with your restrictions, which reminds me of the DMV. So the DMV was formed because it's a necessary entity, right? We need some kind of governing body to oversee the chaos that is our roadways and automotives. We got millions and millions of cars in the state of California, and it would be absolute mayhem if there were no rules and regulations, right? So we need it. It's necessary. There's something there. And I I imagine there was a day long ago when when someone had the idea of an ID card. We're going to give an ID card to people when they turn 16, and now they can drive, and there's going to be a picture on it because we want to know who you are. And when you drive your car into a ditch, we want to be able to call your mom and tell her that you drove your car into the ditch. And when we pull you over for some kind of an infraction, because we need to have some road rules, we need to be able to know who this refraction is, is against so that we can hold you responsible. You can't pull him over and say, um, I'm Jairus Williams, you know, and, and, and then he gets in trouble. You... We need to know who you are, and so we're going to give you an identification card. And so you would be like, okay, I'm on board. I'll take the card. And then they go another level, and they say, well, we're going to give you a license plate because we want to identify your car. We want you to drive your car and not anyone else's car that you decide you just happen to want to drive that day. So we're going to have this car that you paid for associated with you, and it's going to, we're going to be able to link and your license and the plates, and this is going to be yours. And you're like, okay, I, I get that. That's helpful organization. And then they think, we're going to go another step further because we want a registration for your car. Because sometimes people sell the car, and then we lose track of it, and now we don't know whose car it is. So every year, we need you to pay $1,200 to get a registration tab that you can put on the back of your vehicle. And I need these registration tabs filled out by this time so we can stick it on the back. Now, to get your registration tab, you have to have proof of insurance. Because we can't just have you out there driving willy-nilly. So you need to have insurance for your car, which costs an extreme amount of money because you live in California. But you need to do it if you want the little tag. And you're like, oh, this is driving me crazy. What else? And they go, oh, there's one more thing. You drive a 15-year-old Acura TL, which runs like a gym. And... And we need to know that this isn't the year that your Acura TL starts coughing up blood. So we need to get a smog check again. Yes, again, even though you've had the last three years, because we want to make sure that our roads stay clean. You're like, I can't do this anymore. All these restrictions, all these costs are adding up. I'm just going to (laughs) walk. Right? I mean, it just, it it can go so far, and it's so frustrating, especially if they have to actually talk with a human being over there, and you're just like, you are missing the point. I don't even want to drive anymore. I'm just going to ride my beach cruiser. I'm just going to take public transportation because you've taken the fun out of driving. But we do that in different ways in our lives, don't we? What God intended to be a gift and a blessing, we layer more meaning onto it. We think that we know the right way that this should play out. Denominations and different churches have done this for so long. People with different biases on how things should be have done this for so long. And they layer meaning and expectations and things on people. And you're just like, you're missing the point. God designed the law for your benefit. They're they're instructions, they're directions for how to make the most of the life he's given you. Not to restrict the life that he's given you. The rules are not the point. He designed you for relationship. We go on in verse 6. On another Sabbath, Jesus went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. Now, I want to tell you that there's a reason 
why Luke says that this is his right hand. In, the, in Matthew and in Mark, neither of those guys mention that this is the man's right hand. But Luke is a physician. He's a doctor. And so he paid extra attention to those kind of things in his research. And he wanted you to know that this was the man's right hand, which means he couldn't work. And so he's here on the Sabbath. He's not able to work and, and co-create with God during the week. And we encounter, and he encounters Jesus. Verse 7, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. They were, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. They spied on him. And between the lines here, what I believe is they actually planted this man with the withered hand. They brought him in. They positioned him close to Jesus because they know that Jesus does crazy stuff and he's done some stuff on the Sabbath that they disagreed with. And if he heals on the Sabbath, that's considered working and we're going to pounce on him and we're going to get him. So they bring in this man, put him close to Jesus just to see what might happen. Verse 8, but Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand here in front of everyone. So he got up and stood before him as if to say, hey, these guys are just using you as a little pawn in their chess game and I get it and I'm going to make a, a, a deal out of this. So why don't we just eliminate the formality, get up here, let everyone see you, we're going to do this thing right now. Verse 9, then Jesus said to the, the religious people, I ask you folks, which is more lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil? To honor this person or to use this person as leverage to try to trip me up? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy life? To promote life and relationship or to break it down? Which is more lawful? Which is better? They don't respond. Verse 10, he looked around at them all and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. <gasps> the whole place. They thought that he might do it, and he did it. He can heal. And now the drama is just getting started because he did it on the Sabbath. And they sabotaged him to try to think that he was going to do it on the Sabbath. The man is healed. Verse 11, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. It was their intention to kill him. Now, anytime that your rule or your expectation or the way you do things or like things done, anytime that that causes you to want to kill a man who's just healed another man, you might have a problem. <laughs> they want to kill Jesus for what they've just seen. Which is better, to do good or to do evil? Which is better, rules or relationship? Which is better, bureaucracy or being a blessing? Which is better, love or legalism. Don't you see that I gave you these laws to promote life, not restrict life. But you've made it all about the laws. You've made it all about the rules. In the same story recorded in Mark, Jesus says to those religious people, he says, the Sabbath 
was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's as if you and your spouse, you like, you got your house in line. Like you got it dialed in. Your routines are awesome. You guys just crank. You're crazy efficient. You just, you just go through life and you love the system that you've created in your home. And you're like, I just need more people to enjoy how efficient my household runs. Let's have some kids. No, you have kids and God blesses you with kids and then you give them some guidelines so that they can make the most of the life that God's given them to try to keep them out of trouble, to try to keep them on the path, to try to keep them maximizing who God's made them to be. That's why he gives laws and guidelines and directions. It's for the sake of life, to promote life, not to restrict it and withhold it. So here's a general guideline for rule making and rule breaking. Ask yourself the question, does this rule, does this policy, does this outlook, does this plan, does it promote life and relationship or does it restrict it? The way I view this, the way I do this thing, the way I interpret this, is this promoting life? Is this promoting relationship? Is this elevating people or is it restricting? Is it isolating? Is it controlling? Here's another question for you. Where are you bound instead of being a blessing? Where are you bound by the way you think think things should be done instead of being a blessing to other people? What gets to you and bothers you and makes you say, I can't believe they did that? What are you convinced that you do the right way? What are the routines that no longer serve you, but you have become a slave to? Here's the main thing. When Jesus responded to these religious leaders, he said, don't you understand what it means in Hosea chapter 6? I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices, I asked you to do sacrifices as an expression of your love to me, but you've made it all about the sacrifices. What I want is love. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. In other words, I value connection with you more than the constraints you're placing on things. I value people over the policies, love over the legalism, blessings over the bureaucracy, Everything I've given you as law or as rule or as guideline is about promoting life, not restricting it, not killing it, not withholding it. Now, I want to be really clear here. What Jesus is not saying is to to disregard the Sabbath day. What Jesus is not saying is to disregard his laws. They are principles. They are rules. They are regulations to live by because they enhance life. And what we have in our culture, in this, there's, there's a tension because there's lots of people who are very quick to dismiss anything of old, anything of ancient, anything of tradition. And they just want to disregard it and kind of find their own way and do what works for them. And that's not what Jesus is saying. But at the same time, there's just as many people who are stuck and who think and are just convinced that their way is the right way and the way they see the world is the right way to see the world and they can't get past it and they've lost the forest for the trees. 
And Jesus is saying, no, that's not what I intended either. I've given you these instructions for your own good. Why is it that there's two topics that you don't discuss at parties? What are they? Politics and religion. Because those are the two things that people feel so strongly and passionately about that if you disagree as strongly and passionately, it's worth eliminating the relationship. It's worth people getting all awkward about and been out of shape because they feel so strongly. They're willing to disregard and cut off the relationship. That's why no one wants to talk with people like that about those kind of things. Brothers and sisters, that is not Jesus' way. His instructions are about connection with him and connection with other people. They're about promoting love, not withholding it. They're about elevating relationship and not restricting it. So hanging on to the significance and relevance of God's direction, we elevate people over policies. And we work We work with our hands. We work with our minds. We co-create with God. We use the gifts that he's given us. We add value. We do that. But in this rhythm where we also pause and rest and remind ourselves that he's given us instruction and it's for our own good because we cannot work endlessly. And more importantly, we need to remind ourselves that he is God and we are not. And we follow him. I want to invite you to try an experiment this week. I want to invite you to look at your week and set aside one day that you treat differently than the other days. You're here on a Sunday, so some of you, many of you already think this way. But I want you to reevaluate it even if you do. And think, how do I treat this day different than the other days? What am I doing to honor this day in a different way? I'm not going to make a list of rules that I have to follow on Sundays, but I'm going to pause and I'm going to consider, am I treating this day differently? Am I pausing to rest and trust that God is God? And when you rest, remember. Remember. Remember how God has been faithful. Remember how God keeps coming through. Remember how it's him who's given you everything that you have. Remember how he's the creative one and he invites you to participate with him. But in some kind of a rhythm, he invites you to pause and trust that he is bigger, that he's in control, that you can trust him. And just very practically, because he wants you to connect with him, because he wants relationship with you first and foremost, I want to just give you a couple of practical things. When you rest and remember, be quiet so that you can listen. Don't surround yourself by constant activity or constant noise or constant media. Just spend at least some time being quiet, being still, and be aware. Be aware that God is all around you, that he is with you constantly, that he is for you. And be grateful that he is good, that he is generous, that he is kind. And be intentional. Don't overschedule that time. Don't overschedule that day. 
Be intentional about the people that you do or don't hang out with. These are all things that are about, do, about being and not doing. Because the key is not to do, 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 do. The key is to just be and let God be who God is. We wanted to give you just a few moments this morning to practice right here because often you already have plans for today and who knows if they're probably great plans, but we just wanted to set aside a couple of minutes for you to have a few moments. So what I invite you to do is just continue sitting where you're sitting. Take a deep breath. Invite God to speak. Be open to letting go of some ways that you feel pretty confident about and pretty sure about. Because maybe they've begun to restrict what you do and don't allow in your presence and what you do and don't, people that you hang out with. Maybe there's things that have begun to restrict your relationships, limit your view, limit your love. Be open to letting go of some of those things. And then remember and consider and pray and listen. We're going to put some things up on the screen that should help. But just take this few moments here. I think that they could be significant.